You're listening to the Martial Arts Business Podcast with your host, Small Dojo Big Profits author, Mike Massey. Remember to go to martialartsbusinessdaily.com slash podcasts for show notes, transcripts, links to martial arts business resources, and more. Now here's your host, Mike Massey. Hello, everyone out there in the Martial Arts Business Nation and the Small Dojo Big Profits Tribe. This is Mike Massey coming at you with another edition of the Martial Arts Business Podcast. Now, let me tell you what we have for you this week. I have a very interesting interview with a guy named Dave Chesser. Dave is a very accomplished martial artist. And uh, what's interesting about Dave is that uh, he doesn't run a full-time martial arts school right now, even though he runs his own business and it is related to martial arts. And he did set out uh, quite some time ago to become a full-time martial arts instructor. And even though he is a very accomplished martial artist, he didn't exactly take the traditional route to starting and running a martial arts school or opening a martial arts related business. So I'm not going to spoil a surprise for you because uh, the interview I think is very interesting. I think it's very enlightening. It's actually one of the most honest interviews I've ever conducted on the show. And I, I don't really want to spoil the surprise for you. So I'm going to let you find out about Dave and his story and everything he's been through and what he's doing now in the course of the interview in just a few minutes. So what else is going on? Well, you, you know that about a month and a half ago, I re-released the martial arts marketing success system. And uh, that uh, re-release or that relaunch of that product was actually, a, it was quite a huge success. Had quite a few people purchase the product. And also, I've been getting feedback from people who have purchased the product and quite a bit of positive feedback. I've had people purchase the product and tell me that they implemented it. And within just a few days of implementation of the ideas and the concepts and the uh, systems, in the uh, in the system itself, in the product itself, that uh, they saw their lead flow and saw their uh, new student inquiries uh, increase significantly. So it's been very uh, pleasing to me, very uh, uh, rewarding to hear from people, hear back from people that have purchased the product that are doing well with it. So um, if you're struggling with your marketing, I want you to know that uh, right now, of course, we're in the middle of the back to school season. Getting new students is a lot like shooting fish in a barrel. It's pretty darn easy at this time of the year, but in a few weeks, or I'd say in a couple of months, actually not a few weeks, but in a couple of months, um, come mid-November, that's when things are going to start slowing down for the holidays. And if you don't have a, uh, a very solid marketing system in place, if you don't have a very solid marketing uh, you know, protocols and procedures and so forth in place, then you're going to start suffering. Even though you'll still be coasting off all the students that enrolled during the back-to-school season, if you don't have those systems in place, I can tell you that you're going to start suffering and and uh, your school's going to be dead. And, and uh, that's never a good thing. So if you find yourself, uh, you know, kind of, I guess you could say, um, falling victim to the seasonal slumps and to seasonal uh, ebbs and flows in your in your enrollments and in your membership in your martial arts school. You know, I'd suggest you consider taking a look at this product and, and picking it up. It is a good product, and I, you know, I sincerely believe that uh, that it will help you if you struggle with marketing and advertising and and consistently getting at least twenty to thirty leads a month in your martial arts school. So so check it out. And uh, that's about it. That's all I wanted to talk about before we get into the interview. This interview is rather long, so I don't want to I don't want to chit chat with you too much before we get into it. So so I encourage you to stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with that interview with Dave Chesser. Hey, school owners and martial arts instructors, are you struggling to get new students? Are your classes emptier than a Milli Vanilli comeback concert? Do you need more students? Then maybe it's time to turbocharge your martial arts marketing. Stop struggling to get new students in the door and discover how to fill your school with a never-ending supply of ready-to-sign-on-the-dotted-line students all year long. 
Go to martialartsmarketingbook.com now to find out how. That's martialartsmarketingbook.com, home of another profit-building resource in the Small Dojo Big Profits family of products. Go to martialartsmarketingbook.com right now to find out more. Everyone out there in the Small Dojo Big Profits tribe and the Martial Arts Business Nation, this is Mike Nassi coming back at you with another uh, very, uh, I guess you could say, late episode of the Martial Arts Business Podcast. been really busy over the summer months, but uh, today I have a really, really excellent uh, interviewee on the podcast, and his name is Dave Chester. Now, let me tell you about Dave. Um, first off, I'm going to let him explain some of his qualifications, but I'll give you a little bit of his background. Um, Dave is an NASM certified personal trainer. He's also CrossFit Level 1 certified. He's a Level 2 certified kettlebell coach and also a certified youth fitness coach. And uh, I know you guys probably don't care about that, but as far as his martial arts qualifications go, he's a certified uh, Tai Chi instructor, uh, certified in Qigong, and also in Shimadi Salat. So, Dave, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, glad to have you on. Now, uh, Dave lives in Taiwan, correct? That's right. All right. Also known as Formosa? Uh, formerly. <laughs> long time formerly, ago. Formerly, yes. A long time ago. Okay. So uh, so I think it's about 11 o'clock in, in, where Dave's at. It's about 10 a.m. here in Texas. But uh, I first um, actually met Dave on the internet. He contacted me. I think he probably had, had uh, found my blog or picked up one of my books or something. And uh, he was trying to figure out a way to leverage all the training that he had gotten in Taiwan in internal martial arts into some sort of martial arts business. So Dave, why don't we start off and I'm going to get to your, your martial arts background in a minute, but just for the, for the sake of the listeners, tell them why, or, you know, what led you to want to try to start some sort of different martial arts business versus starting a martial arts school in Taiwan? Well, um, you know, we, we had kind of planned on, on coming back. So, you know, going back to the States and when that wasn't so much of an option, um, I, I kind of had to fall back on, on some of the things that I had been planning on doing when I was going to the States, but I, I had to try to do that here. And, you know, I ran into all sorts of difficulties, uh, you know, being like um, the white guy trying to teach Chinese internal martial arts in Taiwan. You know? Right. So, when certain avenues weren't available, you know, you, you've got to fall back on plan B, I guess, something like that. Yeah, I think that's what you told me. So so tell, just for the sake of the listeners, tell everybody about your background in the martial arts, because I know it's very extensive. I know you spent many, many years mm-hmm. actually in Taiwan studying with some of the top internal masters that you could find. Is that correct? Oh, yes, that's correct. So, uh, you know, like everybody else, I started with um, what I could find back in my hometown, back in the States. You know, I started with Tang Sudo because everybody wanted to be Chuck Norris back then, and I was I was one of those guys. Uh, then when I got to university, my uh, field expanded because I had so many more choices. So I did, you know, hard style karate for a while, and then one day I found a Choi Li Foot instructor, and he was moving in ways I had never seen before. He was just really amazing. So I immediately switched to him, and I really consider the, the Choi Li Foot uh, the Southern uh, Kung Fu style to be my uh, basis because he, mm-hmm. he taught us through full contact. So oh, wow. that's nice. Yeah. It, he was very old school, very, you know, kind of Hong Kong style. So it really wet my appetite. It was just so far superior from any of the other things that I saw. So I knew I was like, okay, you know, I, I trained that for a while, but I knew I had to go to Taiwan or China eventually and, you know, try to get it at the source and after I got out of the army in 1999, I'd saved up my money and uh, I flew over here. 
And so just you just flew over blind. No, actually, I was studying um, some Chinese internal martial arts when I was stationed in um, Colorado. And uh, the guy, he talked about his instructor and he said he was great. And I trained with his instructor at a seminar there. So I already had some leads. I already knew who I was going to study with. But, you know, I just I jumped in with both feet after I got out of the army. I basically bought a plane ticket. I cashed out my bank account and I flew over here. And that's why I was here. And I just made that my mission when I got here. That's pretty cool. Yeah, my my dad used to say when I was a kid, you know, because I was so heavily into martial arts, that he was worried that I was going to shave my head and fly to the east and like join some monastery or something. Kind of sounds like that's actually what you did. So you kind of you were living my dream, actually. So 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 when you got there, mm-hmm. you start training in t- internal martial arts. You spend years training in internal martial arts. But yeah. I don't want to skip over all that because I think that whole process of of training. In the East is something that a lot of people in the West have never experienced. So can you share some of that with us? Yeah, and I know a lot of people dream about doing it. And it, 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 it's, it, see, the thing is, though, when you come over here, it's, you've got these ideas about what it's going to be like. You're, you know, people uh-huh. are in the States and they say, well, you know, if only I could go over there and it would be like this and it would be like that. And the Shaolin monks would meet me at the airport, you know, and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. And you get over here. And no one does this stuff. You'd be really yep. surprised. I, it, the very, very, very few people over here are interested in martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just not quite as common as, as you might think. Um, so you get over here and then, then you kind of find out, well, wait a minute. It's not like what I thought. And then you have to deal with the reality of how it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, are you going to stay and pursue what you can or are you going to go back? Well, you know, I stayed and I did study and there there are a lot of good people here. Um, so I ended up studying from, you know, several different people. Um, so you, you can't really live that monastery lifestyle that everybody mm-hmm. wants, but you can fill in the blanks. You can study with multiple teachers and that's what I did. And um, you, you kind of deal with the good and the bad. I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound like it was, you know, it was bad because it wasn't, but it's not, quite what the movies portray, you know, and you have to deal with some of that disappointment and you have to make a living over here. You know, that they don't, they don't hand you bowls of rice. You know, you have to go buy it. Um, I hate to burst everybody's bubble. Um, you know, and to be honest with you, a lot of the monasteries over here, I hate to say this, but this is kind of where they put some of the crazy people. Mental health over here is not very advanced. So Uh the idea is that some of the mentally ill people might do better with a nice Buddhist vegetarian diet in a place up in the mountains where things are nice and calm. So actually, you know, the whole monastery thing, even that isn't quite what you might have expected. So if you come over here and you do this kind of stuff, you just have to realize, you know, Movies are movies. <laughs> yeah, so so you know, no fighting duels on uh, plum flower poles, or um, you know, picking up you know searing hot uh, you know uh, you know brass uh, bowls of of coal so you could get the dragons and the tiger you know like uh, you know tattooed into your arm with a with a burn scar or something, nothing like that, right? Lots of tattoos, but I've never seen any forearm <laughs> burns. Yeah, no, you know, picking up the the burning. You know, the the flaming pots and all that. Sorry. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. Must have been okay. before my time. 
Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I actually spent quite a bit of time reading some of the some of the uh, the, the travelogue uh, novels that have been written about people who have traveled in the Orient and train and stuff. And and I think some of my favorite ones are American Shaolin and Angry White Pajamas. Mm. And uh, those are those are really good books. Anybody anybody who wants to find out what a uh, a martial arts uh, I guess you could say martial arts tourist account of training in in Asia is like you should pick up those books. Okay, so moving on. So after you you know you you train for many years and you get certified, you decide you want to start teaching martial arts, but you find out that you know people really aren't too hip about you teaching over there for some reason. Right. Well, um, so I, I did get certified from my teacher, and he was about uh, an hour and a half south of me. So this was kind of unusual. Um, there are some things that aren't taught in the capital city of Taipei. You have to go to like South Taiwan to learn them. Well, um, I went down there to learn these things and I went down every Friday for a private session and it cost me like a hundred bucks on the high speed train to go down there and back. And wow. yeah, it was pretty expensive. And then I had to pay for a private session. So I would go down there and I would study from this guy. And, uh, I did this for about a year. And see, the thing is, for a lot of people, that's a lot of money. But for me, that was just that was just what you do when you find something you want to learn. You just go do it. And and my wife, see, I'm telling you the story because my wife always tells me she's like, you're not normal. Me. Right. So yeah. when I go and I, I, I decide, well, I'm going to teach. Right. I, I unfortunately came at this from the point of view that everybody was like me. And they aren't. <laughs> People aren't going to just travel an hour and a half one way, you know, to go study with some guy who's got something that that is rare and and, and maybe wonderful. Um, so sure, when I when I started um, teaching, after I got certified by that guy, uh, things didn't quite turn out like I had planned. So I came back and I told him, I said, well, you know, I'll try to teach your material because nobody in Taipei is teaching it. He you know, he was the son of the guy who brought it over here, and I thought that was really special. Well, but, you know, that is kind of special, but that's not really much of a reason for people to come study something. You've got to pitch it to them in more practical, you know, like, what what benefit is this to me? Well, so I had I had mats, and I had stuff like that. I had air-conditioned. You know, I had really planned out the curriculum really well. Um, I had tried to solve a lot of the problems that I had had in the, you know, at that point it had been eight or nine years I'd been here. I tried to lay out the curriculum really well. I came up with, um, you know, very clear progressions of how we were going to go through the system. A lot of teachers, they teach over here, they teach like you do something on one day, then you do something completely different the next day, and it's just it's really uh, convoluted, and there's no clear progressions. So I put a lot of thought into my curriculum. And I thought that that would really appeal to people, and nobody cared. I was really shocked. Um, so, yeah, I guess those initial plans, they didn't go so well. After about four months, I, I still didn't – I unfortunately still didn't have too many students. So that was a bit of a wake-up call for me. Okay, so if you build it, they will come didn't actually work for you. No, uh, no, that really didn't work. Uh you know, I was like everybody else. I went out and I, I set my class hours and I put out on my blog. I had a very famous blog at the time. It was called Formosa Neja, and I had thousands of readers. And I made that classic mistake I think a lot of business people uh, make. We think that because something's popular, you can immediately monetize it. And I was shocked. I had thousands of readers who didn't mind reading my stuff for free, but they weren't exactly going to just show up and learn from me. You know what I mean? 
That's never happened to me. Yeah, that's never happened to me either. <laughs> but boy, was that a shock when I expected that to just work like magic and it didn't. Um, so, sure, I, I had set that up and I just went and I showed up to my class and I was the only one there. So I just practiced and I got one person eventually and one person led to two. And I'm like, oh, well, this is going to take off. Well, after two, I didn't get any more. Wow. Yeah. Four months later, I had like four people. So here's the thing. Here's what I did. Uh, I thought this was pretty clever at the time. I went out and I bought these uh, frog button jackets. Now, I got to tell you, okay, you probably know what the Kung Fu suit looks like. But over here in Taiwan, we've got some really nice ones, okay? So I went out and I, I bought several of these, and I started walking around um, the areas where I thought potential students might hang out, and I was carrying my Tai Chi sword on my back. <laughs> I hate to, I really hate to admit this, because this is really embarrassing. Did you shave your head? No, but I did think about growing like a Fu Manchu there for a while. Oh my gosh. That yeah. would have been awesome. I, fortunately, I didn't do that. But I, <laughs> I walked around with my Tai Chi sword, and this was purely for marketing purposes. And I had this little name card that I had made up with my uh, – it had like the Tai Chi symbol on it. And one side was in Chinese and one was in English, and it was all the styles that I would studied. And I thought that was really clever. Well, I met a lot of people that way, but I didn't really get that many students. You know, and I, I couldn't really figure out what was going on. And then finally, uh, I had these four students, and I, I, I got kind of a wake-up call. I was walking around in my frog button suit, Tai Chi sword on my back, I, and I'm practicing a little bit. And this lady walks up to me, and she says, well, you look like you're doing Qigong. Do you do Qigong? And I'm like, oh, thank you. Here we go. A potential student. And I'm like, why, yes, ma'am. Um, yes, I'm actually a certified teacher of Qigong. And she's like, well, that's great. And I'm like, oh, thank you. This is finally, she's going to sign up. And she says, well, you know, do you charge? And I'm like, now I'm stuck. I'm like, um, well, yeah, actually, I do charge. And she looks at me, and I'll never forget this. She's shocked. And she says, oh, I can't believe you charge. Qigong is a gift to the world. Wow. And I was like, huh? And I, I just couldn't believe it because, you know, I had to pay $100 every Friday to go down just to see my teacher. And I'm thinking, well, you know, he didn't consider it a gift to the world. He charged for private sessions and I didn't mind paying. And this guy, this woman is across the street and she won't even consider me because I'm charging. And that was kind of a wake up call for me. <laughs> so so from that point, is that when you decided that you might try starting some sort of a martial arts tourism business? Um. Well, what I had considered was uh, at the time I was selling my martial artist guide to Taipei. So the idea was I wasn't really going to go show people around. I figured they could do that on their own. I was getting a lot of requests for uh, teacher recommendations on my blog. So I knew it was a business principle. When people are asking repeatedly for certain things, it reveals a potential market, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was Agreed. like, and I got tired of writing emails, to be honest with you. <laughs> so what that's I, never that's never happened to me either. Oh, okay. Well, exactly. So what I did was I said, look, I'll just put all the information of all these different teachers. I'll put it all together. I'll write uh, a description and put maps and pictures and stuff in there. And I'll just sell it for 10 bucks. And it sold like crazy. I couldn't believe it. That's cool. 
Yeah, and it, I don't know why. No one has ever done that for, like, to my knowledge, no one's done it for Tokyo or Beijing. I don't know why they don't. It's a great little idea, and it was a good little money maker for me. Actually, I made more money from that than I did from teaching. It's kind of strange, right? <laughs> so, so you kind of had a, a little lesson there in leveraging your time and knowledge, huh? Yeah, and then I didn't have to write as many emails. When anybody asked me for a teacher recommendation, I said, well, you know, here's my guide. It's only 10 bucks. It's worth it, so just buy it. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That, that's, actually, that's actually a really good uh, idea, and I – I, uh, you know, I'm not shocked that people would, would uh, want to buy that and that a lot of people would want to buy it, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that, you know, I would just buy being a martial arts nut on the odd chance that I ever happen to be in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why like, not, right? It's only $10. Yeah, <laughs> 10 bucks. Why not? So then after that, you know, what was your what was your next step? You know, this this little report that you created is selling like hotcakes, but uh, you're not really fulfilling your, your goal or your dream of teaching martial arts. So what did you do next? Okay, so I said... I've got four students. This is going nowhere. I I said, I'm going to go sit down at a cafe and I'm going to sit here for an hour over my favorite coffee. And if I can think of one reason why I should keep doing this and not just totally change after an hour, then I'll keep it. And you know what? I couldn't come up with one reason that I thought this might actually succeed. And I, I told myself, I stood up and I said, okay, that's it. The blog stops today. So I had this really popular blog. It was kind of central to my identity. I shut it down and I, wow. yeah, it, I killed it. I mean, I had come over here. I had spent 20 years involved with Chinese internal martial arts. I had been practicing four or five hours a day and I said enough. And it, it was, it really was a shocker. But, you know, at that point I had uh, my son and my daughter had been born. We just weren't making it. You know, the martial arts guide to type A wasn't exactly paying the bills. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I noticed that a lot of the people who were taking my Tai Chi classes and stuff, they're in very bad shape. You know, when you sit at a desk all day, unfortunately, moving really slowly, it just mm-hmm. it's not enough movement. So I was fixing people like using planks and stuff. I was having to fix them using basic fitness anyway. So at the same time, as I was going through all this, I had gotten an email from a famous kettlebell instructor and he shared a martial arts background with me. Um, and he said, you know, if you want to get started in kettlebells, you know, maybe you want to think about getting certified under me. Well, I bought all of his DVDs and he explained, you know, the connections between Chinese internal martial arts and the kettlebells and that uses whole body power and all this kind of good stuff. And it uses Uh a lot of core energy. Um, and there's, there's a real skill to, to the kettlebells. Well, I imported the first set of kettlebells into Taiwan. It cost a lot of money, but we made the investment. And I wow. just threw my I, I took all the skills that I had used in Chinese internal martial arts and I put them in kettlebells. Right. So nice. Now, yeah. So now I'm doing kettlebells for like two, three hours a day to get ready. And then I go I get certified from him. And, you know, I meet him and then I come back and I, I, I go to my four people, <laughs> you know, God bless them. And I said, we're switching. If you want to quit and you want to go do Tai Chi somewhere else, you can. Um, but we're switching to fitness. And wouldn't you know it, all four of them stayed. So thank goodness <laughs> yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I've said it many times, and I've said it many times over the course of many years, that fitness is a much easier sell than martial arts or self-defense. And, you know, I've, you know, a lot of people know that I started teaching Krav Maga. We're going to talk about um, you teaching Krav and a couple other styles in a minute. But, but I started teaching Krav because, you know, Krav, you can, even though it's self-defense, you can sell it as a fitness program. Right. And 
it's difficult for people to get over that that uh, that mental that psychological hump when you're trying to sell traditional martial arts as a fitness program. I mean, you can, but there's so much baggage that goes along with it. It's very difficult to sell as a fitness program. But you decided to just do a complete 180 and go, you know, just straight into doing, you know, fitness exclusively. And you kind of left all the martial arts behind for a while. So, so tell me, when you started off with those four people, how quickly or how slowly did that take off? Well, I was quite surprised because when we made the switch to the kettlebell, we hit um, the right timing. No one here was doing kettlebells, and kettlebells were very big overseas. So there was a bit of a pent-up demand here that I didn't really know about. So it was it was quick. Uh, within six weeks, I I was doubling the size of the class. We had about eight people at that point, and it, it grew very quickly from there. It got wow. yeah, it got to the point where I could actually support the family. You know, within uh, two or three months after that, it was that. That quick. is outstanding. Yeah. yeah, that's outstanding. So you have to yeah, go I mean, with what works, right? You know, and when you tap into something like that that you didn't know it was there, I mean, that's that's generally a pretty great feeling. I mean, you kind of feel mm-hmm. like you hit the lottery. Yeah, that's right. So, so the classes start growing quickly. And uh, obviously, probably at this point, your wife is probably, you know, she, you know, she, she's probably just experiencing the greatest relief she's ever felt in her life because, yeah, because you're doing something that's actually supporting the family. So, <laughs> so, uh, you know, trust me, I've been there. Um, so, so tell me, tell me at this point, once your classes start growing and you're, you're kind of starting to bust at the seams, I mean, what was the plan then? Did you kind of just grow it organically or did you really kind of sit down and go, okay, you know, this is taking off. So, so I need to plan this out. What did you do? Well, I started, um, this was my first business. So I started reading a lot of business books and, uh, I, I would buy any program, any book, either business or fitness that I felt could help me in any way. I figured if I got like one person through doing whatever this fitness or business plan was or reading this book, then it was worth it. And so what I found was I was very quickly, um, I moved ahead of just about everyone else here that was doing this because a lot of them, they're, they're very cheap. I hate to say it. Mm -hmm. The people, they won't buy books or they won't buy videos or they want, they want you to lower the price or whatever. But my, I always saw it as like a success thing. You know, if I can just get one client from reading this book and, and that really, I think people caught on to that. I was I was very optimistic, and yeah, it, you know, it took off very, very quickly. Yeah. So, so you basically what you're t- what you're saying is is you you decided that you were going to invest in your education in order to further your business, which That's is right. I think it's important that you know we kind of reemphasize that because I you know I kind of in the martial arts industry many times, especially for people who are struggling in the martial arts schools, you know, because I understand money's tight, but I kind of get the attitude from people a lot who contact me that, well, you know, you're charging for this information and, uh, you know, you're charging and, you know, that means that it has to be a ripoff and, you know, it has to be, you know, information on how to start a dojo and so forth. And, you know, people kind of pass judgment about business information before they even understand what the business information is all about. And, you know, that all goes along with people, you know, carrying a lot of baggage about money and success and things like that from their past. They don't even know they're Caring. But what kind of changes did you see in your business when you made that decision that you were going to invest in your business knowledge no matter what? What kind of what kind of changes, improvements, growth, whatever did you see? Well, what I found was um since I was I was absorbing all of this information, um, I was very quickly able to distinguish myself from others 
Um, and I think people, like I said, I think they caught on to my enthusiasm and that, mm-hmm. that, that sort of helped the business grow. Um, you know, beyond that, as far as, uh, moving on into a business plan, I had written a basic business plan, but then the thing was, uh, you know, when you start a new business, sometimes the business grows into areas that you didn't anticipate and you've got to be a little flexible, um, if something opens up and you think it's going to be a money maker, you've got to switch over into that. So eventually our classes uh, got a little too big, um, mm-hmm. but I wasn't quite sure what the next step was. Okay, so your kettlebell classes got a little too big. Yeah, they were starting to get a okay. little too, a little bit too big, and I was getting a lot of um, at this point CrossFit was really kind of coming up, and it was like um, it was like the next thing. Uh, and I was a little bit undecided. I wasn't really sure how I felt about that. But, you know, as far as like the long term plan, I basically noticed that people were also interested in doing barbell training. So uh-huh. I about six months into the kettlebell, I added barbell training uh, to my curriculum and I started really uh, working myself with the barbell. And as I as I gained more expertise, I started introducing that to clients. Well, the number one request, again, and I always pay attention to my emails and what people are asking for, they were all asking for an open gym. They said, we love your classes, we love your private sessions, but we've learned from you, and now we want to do it on our own. But I didn't have any place for them to do that. And that's when I opened my first open gym. So we moved from a personal trainer studio, kind of a small one, to a more medium-sized open gym where we have classes, private sessions, and you can come work out on your own. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that was kind of a big leap for you, kind of a big leap of faith. But at the same time, you were listening to your clientele and they were giving you feedback that, you know, kind of told you that if you probably if you didn't add this or you didn't do it, that they were going to go find it somewhere else. Is that correct? Yes, that was correct. And that scared me a little bit because you don't you obviously don't want um, your clients going and getting anything that they need from somewhere else. That that really bothers me. I, I I have this idea in my head for business. You were to have a closed loop for your business. So we're a little bit unusual. I when I opened my my open gym, I didn't see it as just an open gym. I think of it as a showcase for the products and services that we sell. Mm-hmm. So we are the major importer of kettlebells into Taiwan. We are also the major trainer of uh, we we train like the the general public in kettlebells. But I also run my own kettlebell cert, Kettlebell Quest. So we train the trainers. So I have this Uh entire closed loop where we don't need to rely on anybody else. The client only needs to come to us to buy the product, use the product in the gym, learn the product. And eventually, I even offer them a career path. They can get certified, and then they can go start their own. So it's this is something I think a lot of gym owners and a lot of personal trainers, I think they need to think more about this because I see a whole bunch of people teaching kettlebells, and the client's like, well, I want to buy kettlebells, and they're like, well, okay, you've got to go to some other store and buy them. That doesn't make any sense to me. you you really got to have that closed loop. People want to Mm -hmm. buy from you. If you're the expert, they want to buy it from you. Yeah, and, you know, selling an item like a kettlebell, you know, because the shipping cost and so Mm -hmm. forth and the initial cost, I mean, you know, really that's something that would be, you know, a a pretty, I mean, I I imagine that was a pretty big investment for you to start investing in in your inventory at first. Mm -hmm. But you actually saw that 
you know, I mean, it paid off for you. Well, what we did was um, I was reading all these business books and we I learned how to invest in the business. So anything that we earned uh, for the first three years, we invested it back into the business. And the idea Wait a minute. Was, stop. Full stop. You, okay. you mean you reinvested your profits in your business? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You, who does that, Dave? I mean, honestly. Well, yeah, you're, <laughs> supposed, to be, you're supposed to be profitable from day one, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I tell people to reinvest their profits in the business all the time and I get feedback that's like, well, how am I going to feed myself? I'm like, well, you know, you, you, you're bootstrapping a business, so you got to find another way to feed yourself while you're bootstrapping it. So that's anyway, right. I'm just, I'm, I'm just poking a little fun here, but, but go on, please. So you, so for the first three years, for the first three years, you reinvested your profits back in your business. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I had enough to feed the family. I didn't take any vacations. Like I said, uh, I bought I bought books and stuff, but basically I considered reading the books and all that. That was my hobby. So my hobby is reading about my business and about fitness, which is my passion. So that was my hobby. So I, I made everything congruent towards one goal. So all of my hobbies and everything are based on my business. Uh, and I really think this allowed me to like to move very quickly. And yeah, then all the money that people would normally blow on, you know, buying model cars or whatever it is, right? All that money that I had, I stuck it back in the business. So every time we were, we wanted to make a jump in the business, the capital was there. So I have mm-hmm. never taken a loan. And I, well, knock on wood, I, you never can say never. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm my own investor, and I don't mm-hmm. really rely on other people for that. And I, I've seen so many businesses crash and burn because there's two chiefs. You know, people will have a business partner and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can make that work, I think that's great. Um, but I always tell people in my business, we've got Indians, but we've only got one chief. And I like it that way. Yeah. And, you know, that's the way it has to be. When I, whenever I have clients come to me and they say that they have a business partner, I'm like, well, you know, I can't coach you both. You know, you might want me to coach you both, but you're going to have different ideas about how things are going to work. So I'll coach you. But, you know, I'm just telling you that I think you're making a bad decision by taking on a business partner. And go. I've rarely I've rarely seen it work. The only time I've seen it work is when the business partners are husband and wife. That's the only time I've seen it work. But then also when you're talking about bootstrapping your business, about, you know, starting a business from scratch, with you know whatever money in hand that you've saved up and reinvesting your profits back into your business over an extended period of time to grow that business, you know to to you know basically you're investing your own capital in your business. That's absolutely the small doge big profits approach, and mm-hmm. that's absolutely what I recommend people do. And and so let's talk about the results from that. So you did that for three years. At the end of the three year period, what type of you know what type of benefits or what type of results were you seeing in your business? You know, I mean, you obviously you were realizing some financial rewards at that point. Yeah, you know, each time the business um, changes, uh, it, it's kind of it, it's good and it's bad because I swear every time I've changed something major, half the people uh-huh. quit. So the um, you get like this initial shock. So when I opened my uh, the open gym and I moved from the personal training studio, mm-hmm. I had worked out the business plan to where they would pay just a little bit more than they were paying at my personal training studio, but they would have so much so many more fitness options. And I thought for sure that was just going to be, you know, the bee's knees. I thought everybody's going to love that. And wouldn't you know it, half the people quit. I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Can't figure people, man. 
No, you can't. But see, the thing was, and I asked, I finally broke down and I asked a few. I said, why, why did you quit? And they said, well, yeah, sure. It's just a little bit more. But it, it's a little bit more that we don't feel that we need. So we're not going to pay, you know, $10, $20 more a month. We're just going to quit. And I was, I was shocked. But here's the thing. After all these major business decisions and like half the people leave, then 150% of new people come in. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, you really need to be able to kind of ride that wave a little bit. It, 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 it's harsh. And, and when you're, you know, you're opening this new location and you sunk all this money in there and you're in there for the first month and it's you and the one person you've hired and you're kind of tapping your fingernails on the counter going, hmm, okay, is this going to work? You know, you've got to give yourself a little bit of time. It takes, it takes time for people to accept a new concept. But I tell you what, every time I've done this and I've gone through it each time, we always come out way ahead in the end, but you've got to have kind of that long-term view and you've got to save up your money because you're going to go through these little rough periods and you still got to feed the family, right? Yeah, I think it's an important lesson that people should, uh, you know, should should uh, you know take heed of because whenever you change something in your business, people hate change. And the existing clientele that you have, you know, what they 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 basically just want the status quo. That's right. And you're never going to be able to grow your business or improve your business if you're constantly, um, you know, just catering to those people that just want things to stay the same. Mm. You know, and and you know, no no business really prospers by staying static. You know, I mean, honestly, you know, there, there, you have to have some change in your business, whether it's, you know, um, you know, moving from a thousand square feet to two thousand square feet or whether it's, you know, adding instructors and, you know, stepping back from teaching so much or whether it's adding, you know, new services like, you know, an after school camp or or, um, you know, fitness services or what have you. I, I, I think there's always there are always going to be people that resist that. And, uh, you know, usually you're better off just jettisoning those people, you know, just jettison them and, and let them go and, uh, you know, wish them well and then getting new people in fresh blood that are absolutely 100% behind whatever it is that you're doing that you're so excited about. So I think you were smart there. So, so now, you know, many years later, I don't know how many years I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it's been a few years because I can't remember when you first contacted me and told me that you were going to start doing kettlebells, but I remember I was like, oh yeah, he's going to do well with that. So, so, um, now you have what, three locations, Oh, uh, we have two locations right now. Um, two locations, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I opened a a second location, and the second location is always kind of um, it's always the kind of the problem location. You know, people put too much effort into that second location. They're like, oh, I'm really going to make this one the uh, you know, the big headquarters. And I I uh-huh. I knew that was the mistake, and I uh-huh. kept telling myself I wasn't going to do it, and I wasn't going to do it. And you know what? I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've I've heard this story many times, and I appreciate your honesty in sharing that in the podcast. So so right now it's kind of the problem location. But uh, are you are you you know do you kind of regret that you opened it or oh just no. regret the fact that you just regret the fact that maybe you went a little bit too big too soon? No, it's uh, actually the second location looks like it's about set to explode. I, I mean, it, oh nice, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it, it's. None of these things they ever really, like I said, it never quite works out the way that you expect. But so far, again, we've we've been lucky and we put in a lot of hard work. Things don't always happen when I expect them to happen, but they do eventually happen. Um, and I find myself reading a lot of Stoic philosophy and gritting my teeth and going, "Okay, it's going to happen <laughs> any day now. It's going to happen." And then then it does, you know. 
So that, oh, that's funny. That, that's about where we're at with the second location. So everything's yeah, good to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's going to take off for sure. But one of the things I wanted to take, I want to take this interview in the direction of, I guess you could say, is uh, to bring it around full circle. Because I know a lot of people are listening to this interview and they're going, well, what does this have to do with martial arts? He's mm-hmm. explained how he's created a fitness business and he's doing well with that. But that doesn't particularly interest me as a martial arts instructor. So I want to talk about what you've been doing recently, because now you have a financial you know, basically you have a financial foundation um, and, uh, you know, you have a platform from which you can launch into other areas of interest that you've probably, you know, been itching to get back into for a while. So what have you been doing lately in your business that has to do with martial arts? Okay. Well, yeah, you, you did hit on something that that's very near and dear to me. So sure. I stopped uh, my progress in the martial arts and, and I stopped teaching and it was an it was an abrupt halt. And I have to admit, I do feel like something is left undone. You know, like the last chapter hasn't been written on that. And now that the gyms are, you know, they're doing pretty well and all, um, I am finding myself wanting to go back, and I'm wanting to uh, learn different martial arts because my it's been you know seven years in the fitness industry since I since we started the gyms. My interests have changed dramatically, and I find myself wanting to do more combatives. I want to do more of the modern stuff. Um, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm getting more honorary, and I'm, you know, I have, have less patience for BS. And I, you know, I just want to do like the really good stuff. And I've done traditional for so many years. I feel like I have not only checked that box, I've nuked it from orbit. You know, I, I'm ready. I'm ready for some of the new stuff. And right now, I think is probably the best time. Um, to get into a lot of non-traditional martial arts where there are a lot of other people out there that are wanting to share good stuff, um, but it, it's got new names, you know, uh, whereas before maybe it was Salat, but now it's, you know, it's The Approach or, you know, something like this. There are all these more modern ideas, um, mm-hmm. and I, I like the energy, you know, because honest to goodness, I'm interested in protecting my family. And a lot of us are, are we're more interested in that. And we don't have time for, you know, a lot of cultural baggage. And, you know, this group is fighting with this group. And it's like, well, you know, that doesn't really have anything to do with me. You know, like one of my clients, um, she got cut. Actually, she was a personal training client. And she walked by a night market and this guy didn't try to rob her or anything. He just cut her arm. Wow. With a knife. And I'm like, you know, if she had studied traditional martial arts from me, what what would she have done? You know, I I don't I don't really have an answer for that. She would have had to have studied, you know, for years, perhaps. And people just Mm -hmm. we don't have I don't think we have that kind of time anymore. Times are different. And, you know, traditional martial arts are very traditional. They don't really necessarily want to want to change. So, yeah, right now is a great time to be to be picking up some of these more modern, reality-based self-defense methods. Yeah, and you've gone through a couple of certifications so far, haven't you? Uh, yes, I recently did um, some Krav Maga, and I also did the Amok knife course. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are people out there that are teaching this stuff now. Also, it's not just new material, but um, it's a new method. You know, people don't necessarily want to take, you know, martial arts classes two or three nights a week. You know, you can do an entire small system in a weekend or a week. Mm -hmm. And I really like these intensive methods. I like to do things intensively. Uh, I I tend to pick up information pretty quickly. So if I can just go and do something 
for six or eight hours for either two to five days in a row, I find I absorb quite a bit. And I really like to have, it's almost like army basic training to me. You know, I like to be immersed in what I'm doing. I, I, I can't stand it with, you know, it's like the end of martial arts class and things are going well and oh, okay, well, we're going to meet in two or three days. And I'm like, no, no, no. What, what's the next, what's the next step? You know, I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting too, because, uh, you know, what I found is when I started teaching, you know, more modern self-defense methods, I actually started experimenting with it in my adult classes mm-hmm. in my first school. And, you know, I was teaching traditional martial arts, teaching traditional karate and taekwondo. And then I'd go off on the weekends and train in whatever, you know, modern, you know, combative, you know, martial arts method that I was interested in at the time. Then I'd come back and spend 10 minutes with my students working on that at the end of class for our self-defense portion. And so what I found was is the students more and more and more were more interested in just doing that stuff. They were like, you know, we're, we're really not interested in learning another form, you know, to get our next, you know, stripe in our belt in taekwondo. We want to learn this stuff. So I, I never really, you know, responded to that before I sold that studio. But when I started the second studio, I said to myself, well, you know, self, uh, we're going to teach kids to pay the bills and then we're going to have fun in the adult class and teach whatever the heck we want. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And what I found was adults just responded to it, you know, and, yeah. and I, I did a couple of different things. You know, I, I, I created my own, uh, you know, uh, you know, short self-defense course that we ended up certifying people in. And then, you know, I started doing uh, Burton Richardson's MMA for the street, which my students really responded to well. Oh, cool. And then when I started the third studio, you know, it was just all kickboxing and fitness and so forth. I didn't really do very much self-defense. After I sold that one, that's when my friend talked me into, a good friend of mine that I grew up with, talked me into doing Krav Maga. I actually had him on the on the podcast recently, Tom Whitaker. Hmm. And uh, once I started doing Krav, you know, I, I, I really fell in love with it simply because, to me, when I taught traditional martial arts, we'd have to spend 75 to 80 percent of the class – going through all this stuff, you know, kind of that cultural baggage stuff that you had to do in order to, um, you know, meet that social identity requirement with that organization, group style, what have you. Right. And it was stuff that really wasn't related to doing self-defense at all. Right. And then, you know, then you'd spend 15, you know, 10, 15 percent of the class doing the good stuff. And then, you know, I started doing Krav and I'm like, wow, it's all good stuff. Right. You know, I don't have I don't have to wade through 75 percent of the class to do it. Um Adults really respond to it. I agree with the, with what you're saying. Adults just don't have time to do all the other stuff. So, mm-hmm. so, so, have you started teaching in your in your studio yet? Well, um, I'm suffering a little bit from what I guess you could call green belt syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. So you know how it is when you've done something and you've got it into your nervous system and you've been doing it for years, and then you go to like these uh, seminars or something, and it's a really intense experience, and you've got all this new stuff that sort of disrupts the system, and you. It, it kind of has changed my way of thinking. So I, I'm I'm in kind of a transition stage where I'm not really sure if I want to run a commercial model for the uh, reality-based self-defense stuff or do I want to, you know, if I want to do a semi-commercial model or if I want to do, you know, just the fitness and then maybe I want to do like my, my secret knife tribe, you know, or I, I'm not really sure... <laughs> I, because I, I'm, I'm sort of in between. I, I can see following both paths. Um, my gym actually followed a, I don't want to call it semi-commercial. We, we are commercial, but mm-hmm. it was based on real fitness. I, mm-hmm. I, so it's a niche. It's commercial, but we're niche. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of wondering if I can potentially do, you know, the self-defense just as a niche, but it, it's completely commercial. Well, I was thinking that, and then I got into knife training, and now that I'm getting into knife training, I'm going, hmm, 
Yeah, this is um, this is perhaps as I, I'm really liking the knife turning, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking this isn't very commercial. Knife is has yeah. got its own its own vibe to it. It's a little bit yeah. dark. <laughs> Scares people off, and you know the thing is, is that when you start talking about, you know, I'm a big fan of of uh, the NBC approach. Uh, Michael Janich's approach, you know, I really like mm-hmm. that stuff because it's really simple. You can pick it up in an afternoon and apply it that day. Right. But um, but the thing is, what I found is in trying to share that information with people is that it freaks people out. Yeah. When you start talking about, you know, biomechanical stoppage and things of that nature, you know, and start talking about the anatomy and physiology, it freaks people out. But I can get, you know, a whole group of men and women. Most of my students are women in my crowd classes, you know, mm-hmm. and I can get, you know, a dozen, 20 people together and 16 of them are women and show them, you know, you know, a self-defense versus a knife, you know, how to, how to take a knife away from somebody or something. And they're all over that. Right. So just, you know, my two cents about it is, you know, start teaching Krav and just start offering it as a class a couple of nights a week. And you're going to figure out everything else you want to do from there. You know, just, just jump in and do it. I mean, mm-hmm. heck, you know, you've built your business up now. You have, you have, you have, you know, the ability to do whatever you want to do in your business now, basically. And that's a good place to be. So, so I'm, I'm sure you're going to figure it out. And I think it's going to go well for you. Well, one of the things I've been thinking about lately is I keep looking at um, what I call the knife and stick crowd and, uh, you know, Kali and all this kind of stuff, because I think this I think Kali is going to be the place to be here uh, probably now and in the next few years. Yeah, I keep looking at all these knife attacks and stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of people um, in self-defense situations. They're having to fight off multiple attackers and, yep. you know, and having weapons training is, is sort of a it sort of you know narrows that gap a little bit and i keep looking at the knife and stick crowd and i'm noticing a lot of older men are in that crowd mm-hmm. if you go through all these pictures look at the group pictures and it's all, almost always older men and i really feel that men you know as, as far as fitness goes i don't really feel i've reached enough men i feel like i'm as an older man myself i feel like i'm not doing well enough with my own demographic. And the, mm-hmm. the strange thing is, and you know this, and this is really weird, we all know this, men tend to reach um, their highest earning capacity, you know, in 30s, 40s, and 50s. And mm-hmm. nobody is targeting anything at them. And I yeah. find that is really, really odd. And I'm thinking the Kali people, I haven't heard anybody say it outright. But I'm thinking the Kali people have kind of figured that out because as a martial artist, when you get a little bit older, you start getting a little bit slower and you start looking, hey, you know, maybe I need to start training some weapons to extend, you know, my my martial uh, lifetime here a little bit longer. And I think there's even like a saying like, you know, you know, you need to fear an older man with a stick. You know, young men rush in and older men just step back and whack the crap out of you. Um, I, I think Kali uh I think it might be a way to kind of tap into an untapped market. Just my thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, that's. It. I think it's a possibility. You know, it's interesting because you know I've seen some of some jujitsu schools have started to figure out that mm-hmm. uh, you know they need to have a way of teaching you know older men you know without <laughs> without them getting hurt you know getting beat up by young guys and stuff. Right. I think it's interesting that uh, you know you've got like uh, Anthony Bourdain who recently got his blue belt you know and and he's in his sixties you know and right. and you know there's a guy that uh, his wife got him into jujitsu and he's fallen in love with it. But I thought it was interesting because I was reading an interview with him the other day and he was talking about how much he hated it when he would get paired off with some young guy, you know, who just, you know, wanted to, you know, go balls to the wall, you know, and, and mess him up and how he'd actually gotten injured in training, you know, and so forth. But 
But, uh, you know, I think the appeal for, for your older men who want to learn self-defense, you know, and they don't necessarily want to get beat up a lot, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's something there, you know. I don't think necessarily that the uh, that the martial arts industry has figured out a way to tap into that yet. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, the Filipino martial arts might be a possibility. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, bet on that horse myself. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in having you back on the show in a year and finding out, you know, what you've, what direction you've gone and what you've discovered. So So let's plan on that. Yeah, sounds great. I'd love that. Okay, well, we're coming up on time, so what I want to do is give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find you online, especially those people that might be in your neck of the woods over there and uh, that might be interested in the kettlebell certification or finding out more about what you offer. So where can people find you online? Yes, our main website is formosafitness.com. We're also on uh, Facebook. If you type in uh, Formosa Fitness or Kettlebell Taiwan, uh, those are two good ways to reach us. And... uh, I also have my personal fan page in English that's on Facebook. If you just type in Dave Chesser uh, and kettlebells, I guess I'm mm-hmm. sort of known here as the kettlebell guy. So that that would bring up a lot of uh, that would bring up the websites and stuff. Anything else you want to let people know out there before uh, before we end the interview? Uh, no, I, I think that's about it. I, I just want to say thanks. You know, uh, uh, small dojo, big profit was you know that was a pretty important book. Um, I highly recommend it. You know, there's a lot of good things that you're putting out there. I, I think the podcast is, is something that people ought to be listening to. Um, a lot of the interviews that you've done, you know, you, you've, d- you've put a lot of good information out there. So I just want to say thanks for that. Man, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, 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 I can tell everybody out there right now that I, I did pay uh, Dave about a thousand bucks for that endorsement. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I appreciate that, Dave. I appreciate it a lot. I'm, I'm very happy to see you prospering and what you're doing, man. And I'm going to be interested to see where you take your, uh, your martial arts training in the, you know, in the next couple of years. So definitely, in six months or a year down the road, man, I want to have you back on the podcast so we can talk about that. Yeah, sounds great. All right. Thanks, man. We'll go get some sleep. I know it's late where you're at. Um, I'm going to go out and spend some time with the family and do some landscaping and chill out today. So uh, so take care. And uh, once again, everybody out there in the martial arts business nation, the Small Digital Big Profits tribe that are listening in right now, stay tuned because as always, right after the interview, we're going to have the tip of the week. The tip of the week. It's time for our featured martial arts business tip of the week. For more great tips, be sure to visit MartialArtsBusinessDaily.com to subscribe to our newsletter. And while you're there, click on the Business Resources tab for links to all Mike's martial arts business books and courses. Now, here's your martial arts business tip of the week. All right, the tip of the week this week is about seasonal promotions. And I'd like to talk about seasonal promotions around this time of the year simply because it's a great time to do seasonal promotions. It is the back-to-school season, which is the, the first uh, seasonal promotion that you should be doing right now, actually, is is uh, marketing and advertising to uh, all those back-to-schoolers and their parents, uh, you know, all those children that are interested in getting in martial arts classes or doing some kind of uh, extracurricular activity after school, um, perhaps, you know, the, the type of children that maybe don't uh, don't gravitate toward group sports and would like to do something a little bit more individual. Those are the type of students that uh, you should be marketing to right now and, of course, their parents as well. But then also during this, this season, this fall season, you know, we have all these great holidays coming up. And, you know, here in the United States, we celebrate uh, Halloween, which is a big uh, holiday for children. And it's something that I know uh, my kid is is looking forward to. He's already seeing the Halloween stuff at the stores and and asking me about how soon Halloween's going to come and, and so forth, you know. So so uh, and then you know shortly after that, 
the following month, of course, we celebrate Thanksgiving, which is a big holiday here in the United States, and and it's a big ho- uh, family holiday, and there's a you know a, a lot of uh, uh, preparations and and uh, you know done and money spent around that holiday, and of course, shortly thereafter in December we have Christmas. So, you know, using seasonal tie-ins in your marketing to uh, kind of, you know, take these holidays and, and different events that happen throughout the year and tie them with your marketing is probably one of the most tried and true methods of getting people interested in your marketing and, and uh, actually giving people a reason why you're marketing and uh, having specials and so forth um, that uh, that I can think of. You know, it's it's a method that's used by retailers. Obviously, uh, we all know that, uh, you know, from basically from from after Thanksgiving, from that uh, that first, uh, you know, Black Friday on through the Christmas holiday season. And then even after with all the after Christmas sales, it is the biggest retail season of the year and the retailers are more than willing to uh, use the holidays and use holiday tie-ins and seasonal tie-ins to increase their profits during this time of the year. And you should be too. So how can we use seasonal tie-ins to promote our martial arts studio? Well, for one thing, you have to remember that when people are thinking about the holidays, they're thinking about, you know, whether it's Halloween or whether it's Thanksgiving or whether it's Christmas or whatever, people are already considering spending money. They're already intending to spend money around that holiday season on things that are related to that holiday season. So you want to just you know, you don't want to fight that wave. You want to ride that wave in order to increase your profits in your martial arts school. So how do we do that? Well, you know, seasonal times and seasonal promotions are actually pretty simple to do. Um, for example, uh, around Halloween, I like to do a couple of seasonal promotions that uh, that really have turned out to be very profitable in the long run and have turned to be, um, you know, I guess you could say have a very good return on investment for me in bringing new students into my school. One of those seasonal promotions is simply to have a Halloween party for my students and uh, to to offer it for free. I know I've I've had some people ask me, you know, should you charge for those parties? And and there's <laughs> absolutely not. Those parties are basically a customer appreciation event that you do. And and if you're charging for parties, I you know I, I don't know. I, I that's kind of weird to me. But uh, if you're gonna have a party for your for your clients to celebrate a particular holiday, I think it should be free. So no, you don't charge for them. But when you have these parties, these special events, you know, it's something that you can uh, promote to your children and get them excited about. And then they'll want to bring their friends into the party. And I, I encourage you to allow them to do so and encourage them to do so, to bring a friend in. And then that's a great way to get people who would normally set foot inside your school, in your school to see what you're all about, to expose them to a little bit of the martial arts you do and so forth. And, and, uh, and then to, you know, hand them a, an invitation for, you know, a free week or a free month of classes, you know, especially at a time when they're, they're excited about, uh, about martial arts because they've just attended this really fun party at your school. And, uh, it's a great way to get people into your school. It's a great way to get referrals. Now, also in addition to that, uh, yearly Halloween party that we like to do, then I, I also like to do a massive VIP guest pass promotion during Halloween. And so what I'll do, and this isn't an original idea, this is something I created. I actually, you know, got it from somebody else. I can't remember who, but, uh, you know, a lot of schools do this. And basically what I do is I print up, you know, literally like 5,000 or 10,000 VIP guest passes, depending on how many I think I can pass out within a short period of time to get my students to pass out. And, uh, they're, there are VIP guest passes that are Halloween themed. Um, there are a lot of companies that sell templates, um, uh, you know, that, uh, that, uh, you know, you can use around this time of the year. You might have some sitting around your computer from previous years or whatever. Um, the thing is, is to get them printed out, to get your information on that template, to send it to your printers and to get them printed out. And I, what I used to do is I would have them printed 
in um, pads of 25. So basically like I would have my printer print them up as if they were notepads or, or sticky pads. And I would hand those pads out to my students and tell them, hey, you know, drop one of these along with your candy in uh, trick-or-treaters bags when they come by your house on Halloween. And that was usually good for handing out, you know, a couple of thousand passes at least if all my students took them and handed them out with their candy on Halloween. Then what we would do as well is we would go out and find some holiday, uh, some Halloween event where we could go out and set up a booth. And, of course, we would, uh, you know, have a banner and, and let people know that, you know, they could register for, you know, a free month of classes if they came and registered at our booth. And, you know, we'd have, you know, tell them about our classes and so forth. But then also we would just hand out the free passes to everybody who came by along with candy because we would have candy out on our table. And I would buy, you know, gosh, man, 150 bucks, 200 bucks worth of candy in order to have enough to pass out. And everybody who came by and got some candy, we would wrap it up with a VIP guest pass and, and put it in the children's bags. And, and of course, that was, a, you know, good for, you know, handing out maybe, you know, a thousand, two thousand or more guest passes in a single night, depending on how many, how much foot traffic we had by our booth and how big the event would be. So, you know, that's just one example of, uh, of how you can use seasonal tie-ins. Now, also, of course, you know, during the holiday season or the Halloween season, I should say, during the month of October, you know, we would advertise, uh, you know, have a Halloween ad running in the local paper and also, you know, all of our uh, collateral, all of our marketing collateral, um, you know, door hangers and, and take ones and whatnot would be Halloween themed and so forth. And of course, you decorate your school, you know, to uh, match the season as well, because that's get kind of gets people in the in the spirit of the holiday so and so forth and and uh, gets them in the mood to spend money and then you do the same thing you know with uh you know thanksgiving and then the same thing with christmas now i'm not going to go into all the seasonal promotions i do for every single holiday but i think you get the idea my suggestion is that you create a marketing calendar uh, that is you know 12 months and uh, that you have a seasonal promotional tie-in for every single month of the year. Now, I know there's not major holidays. There aren't major holidays in every single month of the year, but I'm sure that you can come up with something, some sort of promotion that would be a tie-in that has to do with the season or something happening during that month um, for your school. And if you do that, that makes it easier for you to plan out your marketing over the course of the year. Not only that, but you know, once you develop marketing collateral and artwork and so forth for each of those seasonal promotions for every month, you can continue to use that year after year after year after year. Now, you don't want to use something that's become stale or old or that looks dated, but, you know, for the most part, you can continue to use the same ideas and the same marketing collateral. It makes it much easier for you because that's how you implement or how you develop, I should say, and then implement systems, marketing systems in your school. Now, I do have some suggestions in the in the marketing manual for this and, and uh, some ideas and so forth. So if you haven't gotten that uh, marketing success system yet and you're interested in in uh, making things easier on yourself you know you might take a look at that but uh, but it's obviously something you can sit down and do on your own you don't necessarily need my ideas to help you do it um, but if you wanted a shortcut you know of course that would that would be something you might consider all right so that's it for the tip of the week this week i hope you take this tip and implement it and it gets you a ton of students uh, this uh, this holiday season and this back to school season and uh, i want to encourage you to uh, sign up for the newsletter on the website at martialartsbusinessdaily.com if you're not signed up for a newsletter. Uh, lately, I've been putting out a lot of information through the newsletter. I've, I've uh, made a commitment this this uh, year for the rest of the year to be very consistent in my emails and send out at least uh, four to five emails a week. And, and these aren't just little short emails. They're actually you know full-length articles that I'm sending out almost every day through the email newsletter. So if you're not a uh, subscriber to the newsletter, please get on there because uh, if, if you're not on that newsletter, you're missing out on a lot of good uh, free business information for martial arts school owners. All right, that's it for this uh, episode of the Martial Arts Business Podcast. I want to thank you for joining me, and uh, I'll talk to you soon in another edition of the podcast. 
You've been listening to the Martial Arts Business Podcast with Mike Massey. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this show, leave us a positive review while you're there. Thanks for your support. And tune in again next time for more great martial arts business tips and advice from martialartsbusinessdaily.com.